Amen, choir. Thank you, Nathan, for leading us in such a wonderful time of worship. In an unprecedented move, I heard this story about a pastor who called up a church member who was hardly ever able to attend and asked him and said, I, heard, I need someone to preach for me on September the 29th. Can you help me out? So here I am uh, this morning. It is a joy to be with for Tammy and I to be with our First Baptist family. And I want to just take this opportunity, since I don't have that many opportunities, to tell you how much we appreciate you and love you and are encouraged by your support and your prayers of us as we literally are on the mission field of Etowah County. Whether you realize it or not, Etowah County is a mission field. There are more people at home this morning than are in our churches today. There are more people that are lost than are saved. And so for me to have the opportunity to preach uh, at the commencement of Reach Week at First Baptist Church is a distinct honor, and I'm delighted to have the opportunity to do that. I want to ask you to join me in your copy of God's Word in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Acts chapter 10, as I bring to you a message entitled, Breaking Down Gospel Walls breaking down gospel walls. I'm not going to read this text in its entirety this morning. We're going to work our way through it together. So I'm going to ask you just to remain seated and follow me as we walk through this uh, crucial text in the book of Acts. When I was pastor at 12th Street Baptist Church and we were in the middle of construction at our new location, we faced a crucial decision concerning the safety of our building. We had to make a decision concerning a wall. And the decision was to whether or not we would build a wall where there was not intended to be a wall to protect the undeveloped part of the building, or would we go ahead and bite the bullet and build or fireproof the whole building in its entirety? Cost was a major factor. It was been, would have been costly to erect a wall, a firewall, that would have been costly in and of itself, but also putting a wall in a place that it was not intended to be that would eventually, with future expansion, have to be torn down? Or do we pay even more to go ahead and fireproof the whole building so that when the time comes for future expansion that we can expand without any hindrance? There wouldn't be a wall in our way if we go ahead and fireproof the whole building. After much deliberation and meetings, we decided to bite the bullet to go ahead and fireproof the whole building because we didn't want a wall where there wasn't intended to be a wall and we didn't want to be hindered whenever the time came for us to do future expansion. I share that story with you this morning because I'm afraid that we as churches today are master wall builders. We are masters at putting up walls where they're not intended to be walls. We put walls in places that impede the gospel going forth. We put walls in place where people have trouble getting to us. We 
deceive ourselves into thinking that the walls that we have erected are for our protection and for our good. And we even go so far as to deceive ourselves into thinking that they are for the glory of God and will make his church better when in fact, when we put up walls where they're not intended to be walls, we find ourselves hindering the cause of Christ and causing him great grief because we are not able to move forward like we should. When we come to Acts chapter 10, the gospel is walled in Palestine. It's walled in to the Jewish people. There's been a few breakthroughs there after the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8. Philip breaks loose and gets, makes his way to the Gaza road and intersects with the Ethiopian eunuch and shares the gospel and that Ethiopian eunuch is gloriously saved and baptized and we love that story. And then later on in chapter 8, Philip makes his way over to Samaria, the the forbidden part of the world for a Jewish person, but yet he goes and great revival breaks out later on in chapter 8. We see the conversion, the miraculous conversion of, of Saul, the one that nobody thought would ever, ever be saved. But it is the encounter between Peter and Cornelius that you and I as believers today should be the most grateful for. For it is in this story that we find the gospel finally breaking through to people who were not Jews. We find the gospel breaking through to people who didn't look like a Jew, didn't act like a Jew, didn't talk like a Jew, didn't have the upbringing of a Jew. We actually find the gospel breaking through to Gentiles, to people for whom the gospel had not been shared yet. And it took some doing. It took some doing for the gospel to to break through this wall that had been erected by the Jews, that God had made clear that there was to be no wall. God had made clear that the gospel was for every person. God had made that abundantly clear, yet he had to call Paul out and miraculously transform him and name him as the apostle to the Gentiles in order for that gospel to truly, to truly spread, but to get one of his inner circle to buy into the plan of the worldwide spread of the gospel, to get the gospel outside the walls, it took some doing. And it involved this man by the name of Cornelius. And I want us to begin by reading these opening three verses and and let me just share with you how this story unfolds. And the first thing that we see in this text is that Peter was changed. Peter's mind was changed concerning the gospel. And the gospel being there for everyone, Peter's mind was changed by a personal revelation. A personal revelation. Beginning in Acts chapter 10 verse 1, it says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now here we are, we're introduced to this man, 
by the name of Cornelius. He's a centurion, which means he's in charge. He's a leader in the Roman cohort. He's in charge of somewhere between three and 600 men. And yet of this man who is not of Jewish descent, this man who is outside the wall, it says that he is a devout and God-fearing man who prayed to God regularly. Now that, that amazes us in and of itself because as a Roman, he had been exposed to the pantheon of Roman gods, the many god worship of the Romans, and it obviously did nothing for him. The many gods that meant nothing to him. They had made no impact upon him. But while he stationed in Palestine, he had been exposed to the enlightened concepts of Judaism, which involved one God. Not many gods, but one God. And he had become a devoutly monotheistic man. Coming out of that Roman culture, he had been influenced by the Jewish culture and he was monotheistic. And as a result, it says the soldier gave alms, offerings to benefit those in need among the Jewish people. And this causes us to stop because we know the history of the Jewish people. Was this guy a sinner? Absolutely, he was a sinner. Was he a guy that was outside of the covenant that God had made with his people? Absolutely, he was a guy that was outside of the, of the covenant. But was he a swine? Was he a guy that should be ignored by those, by those Jews who were charged with the fact that they were to tell others about Jesus? Was he to be ignored by them? Absolutely not. He's a man who is noble-minded. He's a man who is spiritually minded. He's a Roman army officer who is longing for the true God. And it not only says that Cornelius is this way, but he and all of his family are asking, tell us, tell us more. I know we're outside your wall. I know we don't look like you. We don't act like you. We don't talk like you. But And in response to this man's yearning, in response to this man's longing, God gives him a vision. He gives him a vision. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Cornelius' long service as a soldier had obviously impacted him to be a man who would obey the orders that he was given. So he immediately summons his trusted servants and sends them to Joppa. And what happened as a result was memorable for God had divinely choreographed everything in his own unique way. Look with me, skip down to verse 9 and look what it What it says, on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. So here's Peter. He's at Joppa. He's 
at his friend Simon the Tanner's house. He goes up on the rooftop just before a meal and perhaps the sun is flickering off the Mediterranean Sea. Perhaps Peter's thoughts were looking beyond the Mediterranean. Perhaps he was thinking about places in the remotest parts of the earth, but he fell into a trance and just as he did so, the messengers of Cornelius come to the outskirts of Joppa. And what Peter saw in his vision was quite bizarre. Look with me beginning in verse 11. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time when God had cleansed what God had cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up to the sky. Peter knew Leviticus chapter 11, folks. Been taught it, been ingrained into him. He knew what was clean and unclean. And he knew that in this vision he was asked to do something that he had never been asked to do before. Never, apparently never even been tempted to do before. And that is, was to do, to do something he wasn't supposed to do. To go against what he had been taught all of his years of training. The picture that had been revealed to Peter was revolting to him. Surely not me, Lord. No, no, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go and do something that, that's against what I've been taught. I'm not going to go against this dietary law that has been a part and ingrained in me that I have lived by all of these years. I'm not going and partaking of this unholy smorgasbord of creatures that you've told me to stay away from. We cut Peter a little bit of slack in his protest because it was his upbringing that was informing him. And we ourselves and any serious Jew might have reacted in the same way. Just as you and I react with things we learned in our upbringing concerning others. And then... The angel revealed to Peter these words, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And in Peter's mind, and in your mind and my mind, we ask how could things that had been unclean for thousands of years suddenly clean. That's Peter's response. Our response would be how could the way that I've been taught and the way I've viewed things all my life suddenly be wrong? You mean to tell me, Brother Craig, that I might be viewing things wrongly? You mean to tell me, Brother Craig, that, that walls that I have put up around my life and around my heart and and walls that we perhaps might have put up around our church. You mean to tell me they might be wrong? You mean to tell me that they might not be intended to be there? And my answer to that would be yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Two more times this grotesque sheet 
descended, kept compounding the misery and the perplexity in Peter's heart and mind. We've all experienced the helpless horror of a nightmare. Imagine what this bizarre scene meant to a devoted apostle. Lord, I have been so obedient to you. I have done everything that I thought I should do, everything that I've been taught to do. I have tried to live according to all the laws. I've done everything according to my upbringing. And you are telling me now that I've got to change my mind, that I've got to change my viewpoint, that I can't continue looking at things like I've always looked at them. And that is exactly what the Lord is telling him. The four corners of this gigantic heavenly napkin represent the four points on the compass, the north, the south, the east, and the west. The contents of the sheet indicate the swarming millions of people that populate the earth. Cornelius and all of his, all of his servants, all the Roman people, all the nations on the face of the earth, all mankind were bound up in this loathsome bundle that descended from heaven. And Peter was standing above them, surveying them all, spitting out, spitting out his revulsion and his rejection. Surely not me, Lord. I have never touched anything that is unclean. I have never gone against your teachings and your dietary laws. Lord, I have, I have never done that. And Peter Peter here in this moment, folks, and I pray that if you and I have the blinders on, that this same thing will happen to us because Peter is about to see in living color his cold attitude toward the world. At least toward non-Jews. Millions were stone blind spiritually. And yet Peter's chalice reply, millions of people the Lord is revealing to Peter, millions of people need the message of the gospel. Millions of people need to hear about Jesus Christ. Thousands of people in Etowah County need to hear about Jesus. This is what God is saying to Peter in this, in this text. And Peter's chalice reply was, surely not. Surely you don't mean me to go to those people who are not like me. Surely you don't mean for me to go to those who don't talk like me, act like me, look like me, have not been brought up like me. But once he, he really understood what it all meant, Peter would never forget this strange vision. As a matter of fact, as you follow Peter through the rest of the New Testament, he's going to talk about this vision over and over and over again. I want you to hear me, folks, this morning. It is easy to see what this attitude, left unchecked, would have done to the spread of the gospel. Large areas of the world would have been written off beyond God's grace. All of us who are Gentile believers would still be without Christ. Without a change in apostolic attitudes, none of us would have heard the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. This is what is hanging in the balance with this vision of a napkin coming down out of heaven. And Peter and Cornelius, they're holding the future of the gospel right here in this moment. 
Peter's experience applies to you and I. Hear me, folks. We, too, write off whole churches simply by what we have heard about them. We, too, shut out whole ethnic groups because of a bad experience with one person or one family. We, too, mentally excommunicate those who do not agree with us on a secondary issue or another. Our sheets easily fill up with educational, racial, cultural, and spiritual rejects. And we cry, by no means, Lord, surely not, Lord, they are not my type. They don't look like me, act like me, talk like me. They haven't been educated like me. Surely not, Lord. Surely you don't mean the gospel is for them. And the result is a Christianity that grows solely on homogenous lines. We limit ourselves to only reaching people who look like us. And thousands never come to grace who, humanly speaking, would have if they were given the chance. And the tragedy is compounded by the fact that, like Peter, we can have these unacceptable attitudes even while generally being in fellowship with Christ. Peter is on the rooftop praying when he has this vision. He had a beautiful attitude toward God, but a lousy attitude toward the world. Let me ask you folks, could that be a description of us? We have a beautiful attitude toward God, but a lousy attitude toward the world. Verses 17 through 23, the angels must have, have watched Simon the Tanner's home carefully that night. How would the apostle respond to this heavenly vision? And hallelujah, he obeyed. He took a, a glorious first step and invited the visitors in when they arrived. And the Jewish phase of, a, of the church began to come to an end and a new phase arose. Peter was changed by that personal revelation. And folks, we need to praise God that Peter was changed by that personal revelation. There's a second thing. And that is that Peter was changed when he understood that the gospel is for everyone. Peter was changed when he understood that the gospel is for everyone. Verse 23 says the next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. According to Acts chapter 11 verse 12, six Christian brethren from Joppa accompanied Peter and his new friends. William Barclay in his commentary says this is because the, the law required seven seven witnesses that would be necessary to validate the case. So they began their 35-mile journey to Caesarea by the sea. And in verses 24 through 27, Cornelius' response was astounding. It was beautiful. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24, on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends and when Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him but Peter raised him up saying stand up I too am just a man and as he talked with him he entered and found many people assembled the leader of the oppressive military occupation force fell at Peter's feet this was the perfect opportunity for Peter's prejudices to kick in 
you are rightly right to kneel. I'm an apostle. The big fisherman is here. You can now kiss my ring. Peter could have had that attitude very easily. But this is where we see that the style of Peter has changed. But Peter made him stand up because I am only a man myself, Peter said. The house was packed with Cornelius, his friends and family. Everyone is there, his mom, his children, the grandparents, the military associates, his servants. They did not know it, but they were to have the first ever cross-cultural small group right there in Cornelius' house. The first ever cross-cultural small group. Cornelius was so spiritually hungry and so desperately wanted to hear the truth, not only for himself, but for his family and for his friends. And the apostle and the centurion began their exciting exchange in front of everyone. Verse 28, they began, they began talking. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate himself with a foreigner or to visit him. Peter says, you know, but then look at what Peter says. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. It's not for me to decide. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent me? And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house. During the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter, Cornelius is just saying to Peter, tell us all about Jesus. We know you've seen things that we've only heard about. Peter, we want to hear your testimony. We want to hear what Jesus means to you. Peter, that's what we long for. We want to hear your message. And Cornelius, he's just ready. He and his family are just ready to soak it in. Few preachers have ever had a more receptive audience than Peter did on that day. And Peter was prepared and the people were prepared and the Holy Spirit was in control from the beginning to the end. And it was the first time the gospel had ever been preached to the Gentiles. Peter's sermon, he has it for us there beginning in verse 34. He gives them a brief introduction. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Folks, that's a verse that is underline worthy. Every man of every nation, no matter what he looks like or talks like or where he was born or how educated he is or the color of his skin, it doesn't matter. Everybody. Everybody, if they do what is right, is welcomed by God. And Peter goes on and he gives them a review of Christ's life in verse 38. He talks about his death in verse 39. He tells them about his resurrection in verses 40 through 41. He tells them he's going to return as judge in verse 42. 
and he, he gives, him the, gives him the offer of salvation in verse 43, and the sermon concluded in that 43rd verse, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Everyone, listen folks, realize how crucial this is. Peter is saying everyone, not just the Jews, not just those who are like me, but everyone, everyone receives forgiveness of sin. In verses 44 through 46, Peter, Peter only spoke for a few minutes before there were results. Peter laid down the main points, mentioned some outstanding facts, was interrupted by a special working of the Holy Spirit. Cornelius and his household heard that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of, of sin, and they responded in faith. No altar call, no invitation. They simply believed and were born again on the spot. Right then and there, the household of Cornelius was transformed. All because Peter had that personal revelation that finally understood that the gospel wasn't just for him and his cohorts. That the gospel is truly for everyone. Do you see those around us as potential heirs of grace? Do we view people who are different from us and who do things we do not approve of as candidates for the kingdom. Our attitude makes all the difference, folks. If we are anti-Semitic, we will never lead a Jew to Christ. If we are prejudiced because of the color of someone's skin, we will never lead a person who looks different from us to Christ. If we are elitist and we think that God is American and the only nation worth preserving is America, then we will never cross the oceans to other lands and win people in other countries to Christ. If we genuinely believe that the greatest mission field is right here in our community and we are not being missionaries to our community, then we are nothing more than a contradiction to the gospel we say we believe. It's time to get real, folks. It's time to take the gospel to Etowah County and the world because everybody, every man, every person who has ever breathed a breath of life deserves to hear about Jesus Christ. Every person. Peter's attitude changed that day. He was no longer a contradiction to the gospel. To be sure, there were still rough edges and we know about all of those, but it is also true that Peter died in Rome the center of Gentile power. He never sheltered himself among his own people or his homeland again. God changed him and he can change us. I close with this from the old Scottish preacher by the name of Alexander White from the Free St. George Church around Glasgow, Scotland. He had some rough edges too, but he was spot on with this. He said it would change your whole heart and life this very moment if you would take Peter and Cornelius home with you and lay them both to heart if you would take a four-cornered napkin when you go home and a Sabbath night pen and ink and write the names of the nations and the churches 
and the denominations and the congregations and the ministers and the politicians and the people and the neighbors and the fellow worshipers, all people you dislike and despise and do not and cannot and will not love. Heap all their names into your unclean napkin and then look up and say, Not so, Lord. I can neither speak well nor think well nor hope well of these people. I cannot do it and I will not try. If you acted out and spoke out all the evil things that are in your heart in some such way as that, you would thus get such a sight of yourselves that you would never forgive. The reason Peter, the reason Peter never forgot the vision, although it was memorable in and of himself, was that God was able to penetrate his heart and realize that Peter had no right to build a wall around the gospel. A wall that was not intended to be there. Peter had no right, no right to do that. And God broke down and, broke and shattered that wall. In our day and in our time, folks, we, we need to take some sledgehammers to some walls. Do we dare write down names of individuals and groups that we have in effect said, by no means, Lord. Surely you don't mean me or surely you don't mean us. Only God can give us grace to love people the way he loves them. And he will, he will do that if we will ask him. First Baptist Church, this is Reach Week. It is church outside the wall. And it is time to take the gospel to everyone. We have to work together to penetrate the darkness of our own community, of our own county. We, we need to work together because the darkness is great, the oppression is real. We need, we need the gospel light to go forth. I want to challenge you this week to do that. I want to challenge you this week to take the conversation between Peter and Cornelius to heart. To hold it, to hold it tight. Don't forget about it here in just a few moments when, when we dismiss. Hold it tight. Just remember what God did in the life of Peter. Does he need to do the same thing in my life? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. and I want to ask you to, to just voice a silent prayer to the Lord. First of all, if you... If you have never met Jesus Christ and you've never surrendered your heart to him for the forgiveness of your sins, I want to challenge you this morning by the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that he was buried and three days later he arose. and He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Would you come and put, would you put your faith and your trust in the Savior? If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and, but yet you've built up walls, there are walls all around your heart and all around your life that aren't intended to be there. And maybe God, had, through His Spirit, has enlightened you to those walls. Would you let God break them down? Would you let Him penetrate those walls and tear them down so that your life can move freely by the Spirit of God as He leads you? you're looking for a church home and this is the place where God has led you a spiritual family I can 
I can recommend this family wholeheartedly. I'm, this is my family. And I would encourage you to come and, and be a part of it. Father, I pray in this moment that your spirit has spoken. I pray even more than that that your spirit is moving and working in our heart. And Father, may we respond today as you might lead us. Lord, tear down the walls that hinder the gospel. Lord, let the gospel go freely forth from First Baptist and every other church in Etowah County, Father. Because people need Jesus. Lord, diminish our prejudices, diminish our preconceived notions, diminish what we may have been taught all of our lives, Father. Break it all down, break it all down. For your glory and your honor that the gospel might be preached boldly, plainly through our lives as we serve you. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray.